Good job. That's awesome. How you doing? Are you awake? Uh, I want you to do me a favor. I've heard how smart you are. How many believe this is a really intelligent crowd? Let me see your hands. How many think you're sitting by somebody and they're a complete dope? Let me see your hands. All right. I don't want you to do me a favor. Look to your right. Everybody look to your right. That's your right. That means everybody. Everybody look to your right. Say this first time good and loud. Say, neighbor. Say, you're looking so good. All right. Now look to your left. Look to your left. Say this good and loud. Say, neighbor. You don't look that good, but I love you anyway. Amen. All right, let me give you another test. Get your hands out here like this. Everybody get your hands out here. Scoot up to the front of your seat. Everybody do this. That's everybody. That includes you guys back here in the back. Scoot up there. Get your hands right here. Get your fingers moving just like this. I'm going to go around the country and tell them how smart they are here at the West Coast Baptist College by how you do this and how quickly you do it. All right, got your fingers moving? If you got your fingers moving, say, uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right, on the count of three, as quickly as you can, I want you to turn around and shake the person's hand behind you. One, two, three. All right, how many of you have a dork sitting in front of you right now? Let me see your hands. Got a dork. All right, get your Bibles and go if you will. First Kings 17. First Kings 17. Anytime you start studying the Bible, you've always got to put it in the context of which it's being spoken. You can't just grab a verse and say, well, it means this to me, it means this to my grandma, it means this to my cousin. No, you've got to put it in the context of which God gives it to us. You know that from studying the Bible, but here's what people do. They say, well, my cousin said this, my grandma said that, my mom said that. Listen, the Bible was never meant to be interpreted by what we think. The Bible's meant to be interpreted by what God intended when he wrote it down. So today we open up the Word of God. It's in there and it's infallible. It's preserved. And so God has a message, but you don't just take it out of context and say, well, I like it saying this. And somebody says, no. The Bible says the Bible is of no private interpretation. So I want you to look now as we look at 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want us to begin reading uh, in verse, if you will, uh, 17. And then we're going to go back and get the background and go through our passage today. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17. If you're there, say amen. amen. Verse 17 says, And it came to pass, after these things, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he, Elijah, said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him up out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times. And he cried unto the Lord, and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of his chamber into the house. And he delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, 
Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the mighty, matchless, and most wonderful name of all. We come to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. And God, I'm reminded that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he, Jesus, is King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, not only will we, do, will we do that then, but God, we choose to do that now. We thank you. We thank you that, God, we can be saved. We thank you that, God, we can know what it is to have the Spirit of God working in our lives. We thank you that, God, today we can open up your word and know that for every person here it has a message for us. That, God, your word never goes out of style. It's never irrelevant. It's always right for our lives. And so I pray, God, today you'd quicken the word and make it alive to every heart that's here. I know not the circumstances. I know not the situations in the lives that sit before me. But, God, you do. And I pray today the Spirit of God would move in such a way that, God, not only would we be convinced, but, God, we'd be convicted. God, we'd be changed. And I pray, God, we'd walk out of here knowing that, God, we've been in your presence because it's in Jesus' mighty name that we do pray. Now, good and loud, everybody said, Amen. When you come to the previous chapter, in chapter 16, no doubt if you've studied Old Testament history, you know that there's a mess going on, that from one kingdom to another, they keep passing down the kingdom. And as they do that, they keep killing, slaughtering. Uh, there, there's drunkenness. Uh, there are those that when they see this, the Bible said, that they just go from one evil to another. There are those that will tell you, well, man's going to get better as he goes through life. The man somehow is going to evolve or evolve into a better uh, form of being. I want to tell you something. The Bible is right when it says, for all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. I don't care who you are, where you're at, when you go to society, you look at them, it doesn't matter what color they are, it doesn't matter where they live. I'm telling you, everybody's in the same state, and that is all of us are sinners who are in need of a Savior. Everybody in this building should sit here today and realize that sin doesn't make you better. Sin doesn't make you enlightened. Sin ruins your life. And then the Bible says they just keep moving from one entity to another. They keep moving from one family to another. They keep moving from one kingdom to another. And as they do this, they just keep getting worse and worse. Until the Bible says they end up with what is known as Ahab and Jezebel. And when you find Ahab and Jezebel, they made a grove. And when they made a grove, they made it to Baal. And they did it there at the temple of Baal. And they did it there in the city of Samaria. And the Bible says that they did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the other kingdoms that had come before them. I want to tell you today, there are those that will tell you, well, who you are in private is not necessarily who you are in public. I want to remind you, who you are when nobody's looking is exactly who you are. You, you look around and you find somebody and they seem to be good when the lights are on. They seem to be good when it's Sunday morning. They seem to be good when everybody's watching. But I want to remind you this. One day, no matter who you are or what kingdom you come from, all of us are going to stand before God and all of us are going to get give an account of our lives. And you've got to understand that when you stand before God, He's going to know everything. He knows our down city. He knows our uprising. He knows our thought of far off. He knows the very number of hairs upon our head. He knows when a little sparrow falls to the ground. There's not anything about our lives that God doesn't know. And when you find this story, you find out that Ahab and Jezebel are wicked. And Ahab and Jezebel are evil. And Ahab and Jezebel, they hate the people of God. They hate the things of God. And yet in the, in the story that we read, in chapter 17, at the beginning of it, there's a mighty man of God by the name of Elijah. And when you go to verse 1, the Bible said that God tells him, I want you to go and I want you to find Ahab and I want you to tell that kingdom that it's not going to rain. I want you to tell them that it's not going to rain until they get right. It's not going to rain until they come and get themselves right with God. Yet when you read this passage, it says the word of the Lord came to him after he gave that message. It wasn't an easy message. 
It wasn't a convenient message. It probably wasn't the message that Elijah wanted to give because he's going to be blamed for the problems that are now going to come. They're going to say to him later, he says, you're the one that troubles Israel. He realizes that by preaching the message, it's not really his message, it's God's message, but he's going to be blamed. So the Bible says that in the midst of that famine, he says, I want you to get up from where you're at, I want you to go to Cherith. And when you go to Cherith, I want you to know there's going to be ravens that are going to come. They're going to give you bread, they're going to give you flesh, which is amazing to me. Where did that bread come from? Where did that flesh come from? I mean, did, did ravens pick it up and bring it over there to him? He, he had a brook that was there, which was a really good place to be in the midst of a famine. And, and yet he, he's there, he's contented, he's happy, he's right where he thinks he ought to be. He's doing what he thinks he ought to do. And from there, God said, no, I want you to get up from Cherith. I want you to move to Zarephath. Which when you look at Zarephath, here's where you go. You're going to, to Jezebel's hometown. You're going where she grew up. You mean to tell me I've got to leave this brook. I've got to leave what's convenient. And I've got to move over here to where Jezebel rules. And that's exactly what God says to him. Get up and move. And when he gets over there, not only does he get there to a difficult place, but God says to him, there's going to be a widow woman there. Do you understand that women in that society were treated cruelly. They were treated like a, a piece of property. I mean, they had multiplicity sometimes of wives and marriages. I mean, they, they were in a mess as, as a society. And women were not esteemed and women were not blessed. They, they, they were used. Go, go find a widow woman. Her, her husband's dead. She can't work outside the home. She, she has no, 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 no money for food. And now here's this famine coming in upon her. And the Bible said that when he gets over there, moved by the word of God, he doesn't go there because he wants to go there. He goes there because God tells him to go there. And when he gets there, he calls out to this widow woman and says, hey, hey, go, go, go get me some water. Go, go fetch me some water. And she kind of turns around and thinks to herself, go get you some water. Do you know we're in a famine? Do you know there's no rain? And then as she goes off, he says, and while you're at it, won't you go get me something to eat? And there's an amazing verse. If you have your Bibles, go to chapter 17. And look at what she says in verse 12. It says, And the widow woman said, As the Lord thy God, not her God, but thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son. And notice this, that we may eat it and die. I don't know about you, but, but I just get the idea this lady has an attitude. I mean, let's take a survey in here. How many of you know some ladies that at times can get an attitude? Let me see your hands. Please don't point, just raise your hands straight up, all right? I mean, let, let, let's take a survey in here. How many of you growing up had a mother? Come on, let me see your hands. How many of you at times know your mama could get an attitude? Let me see your hands. I mean, my mama uh, was from the great state of Oklahoma. Is there anybody from Oklahoma here? Amen. God bless you. We could tell you're from Oklahoma. Come on, amen. amen. If you ever go to Oklahoma and see a good-looking chick, she's a visitor. Can I just tell you how that state works? Amen. <laughs> if you ever go to Oklahoma and see a good-looking woman on the arm of an Okie, that's what's called a tattoo. Can I get an amen right here? My mama was an Okies, Okies, Okies. She grew up in the northeastern corner of Oklahoma. And I got to tell you, I had a mother that could get an attitude. Can I just tell you? Amen. And uh, listen, my mom, I'd be minding my own business. I'd be back in my room. I'd be listening to good music. My mother would kick that door open. 
She come walking back there like a sumo wrestler having a bad day. Come on, amen. She'd look at me and say, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of your brother. I'm tired of your sister. Hey, don't you look at me in that tone of voice because I'll crack those teeth down the back of your throat right now. How many know a woman like that? Let me see your hands. She'd get up and walk out of there and I think for crying out loud, why did she come in here? Listen, the thing you need to know about mamas is round one doesn't mean she's done because she's coming back for round two. Come on, amen. Hey, I want you to know I'm tired of you. I'm tired of your brother. I'm tired of your sister. I'm tired of your dad. I'm tired of everybody in this family and it's because of you that I look like this right now. So don't you get smart with me, amen. And then you think to yourself, what is the matter with that chick? Listen, how many of you when you were growing up got weapons? Let me see your hands, got weapons. By the way, if your hand's not raised right now, that's why you're a brat. Can I just get an amen? Amen. Hey, let me, let me ask you, let, let's do a survey right here. She's got a son. How many of you are the oldest in your family? Let me see your hands. All right, keep your hands up. Look around here. This is who the bullies in your family are right here. Amen. Amen. How many of you are the middle child? Let me see your hands. That means you're the nut jobs. If you got your hand up right now, amen. Uh, how many of you are the baby? Let me see your hand. Amen. That would mean you're the perfect one in the family. That's what that means, all right? They messed up on everybody else and finally you came along and straightened it all out. Amen. If you're an only child, you don't have to raise your hand. We know who you are. Can I just tell that one? We know who you are. But, but, but my mom was one of those ladies that would say crazy things. Parents say crazy things. Brother Bert's got two kids, and, and he's going to say some crazy stuff in his life. My, my mom was a whipper, and my mom would say, hey, I want you to go back to your room, and I'm going to come back there in a minute and give you a whipping. And while you're back there, I want you to think about it. Can anybody in creation tell me what you're thinking about? <laughs> go back there and think about it. She'd come in and say stuff to me like, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt how many know that's a lie? Come on, amen. I used to say to my dad, he said, I want you to know the only reason I'm, we I'm whipping you is because I love you. And I'd be like, lay on the bed and let me beat you for a while. I love you too, all right? And my mom was what was known as an around the world whipper. Brother Bert, you know what that is? That's where they grab you and bless God, you are going around the world, Amen. And I, lo I loved it. I was just I loved it. My, my mom was what was known as a, as a spirit-filled Baptist lady. She's a Baptist piano player. I mean, she loved the Lord. But when she was whipping you, she would pray at the same time. Dear Jesus, don't let me kill this child. Please, God, please. Well, you, you look at this woman. What do you find out? She got an attitude. You mean to ask me for water in the midst of a famine? You mean to ask me that, to, to, to go get you some food? Listen, I got two sticks. I'm going to rub them together. I got a little bit of cruise, a little bit of oil, and my son and I, we're going to eat it and go die. I will just tell you this, that if I'm looking for help in the midst of a famine, I'm not looking towards this lady. But I want to tell you something else. The Bible said the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. The Bible said in Genesis 18, 14, it said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Can I tell you, there is nothing that is too hard for the Lord. And when you find, what, why? I go from Cherith, I go from Zarephath, I go to this widow woman. Is that what you want me to do? Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail. Here it is, it's an amazing statement. According to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. 
I mean, he, he's speaking for God. He's saying, listen, I know it's a famine. I know, I know we're in difficult times. But I want us to trust God. The Bible said, don't lean to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And what? He will direct your paths. That, that, that's where Elijah's at. That's where the widow woman's at. That's where her son is at. And then you have a punctuation change in what we read. Look at verse 17 again. It says, and it came to pass after these things. That the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. It came to pass. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. And it's amazing how, how one phone call can change your life as a pastor. I, I was pulling in the garage one day, and uh, some kids that were your age were out on a four-wheeler, and they were, they were running wide open, and they, and they came towards a little embankment, didn't know it was there, and they started to turn. And as they started to turn, the, the four-wheeler got away from them, and both of them slammed into a tree. And when I got to the hospital, they were covered in blood, and there were their parents, and they, they were distraught. And I thought, man, an hour ago they were having a good time. An hour ago they were having fun. I got a call late one night and a young man that's about your age was going down a country road as it started raining. The oil had come up on that highway. Somehow he lost traction. And again, he slammed into a tree. And when I got out there by that wreck, his parents were, were a wreck themselves. Had a lady that was, just couldn't wait. She, she'd waited forever to have a baby. Oh, preacher, I'm going to have a baby. Oh, Miss Tony Lynn, my wife, we're, we're going to have a baby. They were so excited. They told us all about it. They called us and said, can you come to the hospital? And we got over there. And there was a little lifeless baby sitting in the crib. And I thought, you know, a, a day ago, all they could do is talk about, we're about to have a baby. We're, we're going to be parents. We're finally going to be parents. And just that quick, everything changed. I mean, you got a cruise of oil, you got a barrel of meal, you've got everything you want, everything's fine. I've been over here thinking I'm about to die. And now the Bible says this boy dies. You see, the reality of it is, is we don't live in the land of the living. We're living in the land of dying because it's appointed unto man once to die. The Bible said, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. That's why Proverbs said, don't boast of tomorrow because you don't know what a day will bring forth. We make a big deal about race and color. We make a big deal about education. We make a big deal about nationality. I want to tell you what matters. You better know whether you're saved or lost when you get ready to die. That's what matters. I, I, I was praying for this, Brother Mark. And I had a Bible college roommate that I promise you if he walked in here, one of you girls would be like, that's the guy. His, his daddy was a, was, a, was a multi-millionaire concrete guy in Houston. I mean, everything they touched turned to gold. Uh, he and I, did, we didn't have a whole lot in common. He had money. I didn't come from money. But man, he, he, was, a, he was the most outgoing. He had the greatest personality. I mean, he, he had a mind that was clear. I thought, man, God's going to use him. And the last semester that we were in Bible college together, a room came open where he could be by himself, and he moved out, and I realized there was something distant about him. We've been buddy for three years. And in that last semester of Bible college, he got to sneaking out and drinking alcohol. Guys, I, I, I know society's confused on alcohol, but I want to tell you, the Bible still says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. I don't care if you're in Bible college or not. I want to tell you, the Bible says that alcohol is an adder. One bite and it will ruin your life. started drinking, got loose morally, 
Two years ago, I preached his funeral. He died of an alcohol-induced aneurysm. I mean, the people that pulled up in that parking lot, Lexus, Mercedes. I mean, you, you think of the finest cars wearing the nicest clothes. They came in there. I mean, he had made a boatload of money. But I want to tell you something. God didn't mean for him to make money. God had other plans for his life. And in just one decision, then two decisions, he took his life into his own hands. Which, by the way, is a very dangerous place to be. You're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to run my life. You're not, you're not smart enough to run your life. You find it here. That, 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 that all of a sudden the boy dies. Oh, friend, listen, I, I, I've been around Bible colleges long enough to know that there's people sitting in this building. I don't care what you do. I'm telling you, you know deep down inside that there's something missing in your life. But you come to Bible college. And you think Bible college is going to fill it. And by the way, you're not going to find a better Bible college than where you're at. But I want to tell you something. I, I, I know people that all these years later after going to Bible college with them and looking at the fruit of their life, I thought they were lost then and I know they're lost now. That's why the Bible says, let every man and let every woman examine themselves whether they be in the faith. That's why the Bible says you better search out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Two minutes after you die, no one's going to care if you went to Bible college. Two minutes after you die, what's going to matter is did you know Jesus Christ? But no, hey, no, Clark, I'm not going to do that. I've wrestled with that. I, I've argued with that. No, friend, listen, the Bible says you better be sure. The Bible said these things have I written that you might know that you have eternal life. Hey, you better know whether you're in Bible college or not that you know Jesus Christ. That's what matters. There was this boy, he died. He wasn't planning on dying. His mama wasn't planning on him dying. But he dies. And look, look at the problem. Look at verse 17. Don't you see it? Verse 17 says, or excuse me, verse 18 says, And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? She's got a question mark there. Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? You, you see, the problem is this boy dies, and now this woman is perplexed. What is she perplexed about? She's perplexed about the fact that her boy died. And wait a minute, hey, hey, there's two things here. Are you really a man of God? Are you really who you say you are? Are you really what you claim to be? There is nothing worse than somebody that claims to speak for God and they're nothing but a charlatan or a fake. We say, well, guys don't last long in the ministry. I'll tell you why guys don't last long in the ministry. It's because they don't walk with God. That's why they don't last long. They're not real men of God. They, they, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power there. They, man, they look good as actors, but they're really not... God's guy, God's man. So this boy dies. What does she do? She blames the man of God. The first time somebody comes at you and you didn't do their kid right on a youth activity, the first time you're pastored and somebody walks up and says, why is it so hot or why is this not going? I want to, you better know that when you're, when, you, when you're called of God, that there are going to be a lot of false accusations that get hurled against you. I had a lady that was in our church, and she came back. I don't know why she came back. I didn't know her. I'd just taken the church, and she came back. And uh, you say, well, Clark, who was she? I'm telling you, my opinion is she is a half-spawned sister of Satan. Can I get an amen right? She was. And she walked up to me. She got me in front of a crowd, Brother Bert. 
And she started taking her finger and putting it under my face. And she said, hey, hey, preacher, my husband and I, we've been praying about leaving the church. I said, well, I got good news for you. Because I've been praying about you leaving the church. <laughs> you have somebody come up to you after a big day where you'll see several saves. And they'll, they'll, they'll throw cold water all over it. Buddy, at that time, you better not be living for a check. You better not be living for cash. You better be doing what you're doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because right. I promise you, men's applause will leave. Right. Somebody patting you on the back is not always going to be there. Right. One of the great privileges I had this last year was to go to Spiritual Leadership Conference Asia and, and to meet our friend Rick Martin. It's an amazing man, amazing man of God, amazing missionary. He made a statement in one of his writings that I'll never forget. He said... If, 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 you have to, if you have to serve God with a crowd, if you can't serve him while you're alone, he said, you won't serve him very long. And then he made another statement. He said, if you won't serve God when you're discouraged, you won't serve him because there's a lot of discouragement in the ministry. <laughs> you come at me, I've saved your life. You're alive for a year because I came along and now this is how you're going to do me? Is, it, is this really how you're going to treat me? What does Elijah do? Verse 19. He moves from the problems to being perplexed to where he takes a pause. And in verse 19 it says, And he said unto her, Give me thy son. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm her, I'm giving him my son. But he said, Give me thy son. And notice this. And he took him up out of her bosom. And he carried him up into a loft where he abode. And he laid him upon the bed, and he cried unto the Lord, and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slain her son? I want you to get this. There's downstairs a woman crying. Her son, as far as I know, it's her only son. He's dead. Hey, now all of a sudden she's blaming him. Have you come to call my sin to remembrance? Are you really a man of God? And Elijah takes him up, and he goes over, and he lays him on a bed. It's in the upstairs loft where this widow woman lives. And the Bible said he began to cry. When you read that word cry, he's not playing at prayer. He's not playing games with God. The Bible said he gets a hold of God. He accosts him. He grabs him by the lapels and says, God, i got to have an answer from you. God, i got to know what's happening here. And he lays that boy upon that bed. And the Bible says he prays, oh, Lord God, has thou brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by a slain her son? God, why? why? And by the way, there's a really good lesson there. He didn't go back at the woman. He didn't go and get his buddies. He took what the woman said to him and took it to God. He said, here it is. And the Bible said he cried. I mean, he called on him. That's why the Bible said, call unto me and I'll answer thee and I'll show thee great and mighty things. The Bible said, now unto him that's able to exceed him abundantly above all that we ask or even think, according to the power that worketh in us. Elijah took that boy upstairs. And when he cried out to him, and when he took this pause, he prayed. And the first time he prayed, absolutely nothing happened. That's when most of us quit. That's when we say, well, I prayed and it didn't happen and I'm done. But oh no, he goes back. And when he goes back the second time, he kneels down, oh, Lord God, has thou brought evil upon the widow whom I sojourned by slain her son? God, what are you doing? God, she's crying downstairs. God, I, I, I took on Ahab. I, I took on uh, Jezebel. I took him on, and now, God, I don't know what to do. But I want to tell you, I hope when we get to heaven, there was some sort of camera running, because I'd like to know what he did in between the first prayer and the second prayer and the second prayer and the third prayer. Because he goes back a third time, and he prays. 
He goes back a third time and says, God, I've got to have an answer. God, I've got to know what am I supposed to do. You see, there's perplexed. There's that pause. He cried. Look at verse 21. He stretched himself upon the child three times, and he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let the, this child's soul come into him again. Verse 22, and the Lord heard. I want you to get that, and the Lord heard. Just like God heard Elijah, God hears you. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. You say, what happened? You see, Elijah was not just being prepared in chapter 16. He wasn't just being prepared in chapter 17. But in chapter 18, he had 850 false prophets. He had some wet wood. And before he could get to those prophets in that wet wood, he needed to know what God would do in his life. There's the story of David that everybody mocked. He was young. He was small. He was ruddy. He, he had a beautiful countenance. He was just a kid. And when the man of God came in and anointed him king, it made everybody in his family mad. And then the time came when he was going to have to go and face Goliath. And Saul said, man, you're just a kid. How can you do this? And Saul said, or excuse me, David said something to Saul. He said, man, I killed a lion. And I killed a bear. You see, it was preparation for Goliath. You look at Elijah, all dead boys, crying women. That, that didn't, hey, God was preparing him for something bigger. You look at me. Everybody in this room better realize that if you're going to be in the kingdom of God and you're going to be serving God, he's going to be preparing you for something bigger and better on down the road that you have no clue about. You, you don't know about it. But God knows. Verse 23, and Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, see, see, thy son liveth. Now listen to the woman because there's a performance of the promise. And the woman said to Elijah, now, now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. He came to a place in life where he couldn't depend on the circumstances. He couldn't depend on himself. He had to know. I can hear from God. I can trust God. And God is worthy and God will deliver. I sit here today and I look across this auditorium and I don't see where you're at. I see what God wants to do with your life. I'll tell you this and I'm done. I had a Bible college roommate that I'm telling you was country. I mean, he was country, country, country. He was from Hazelhurst, Mississippi, Montevale, Alabama. He, he, he came to Bible college. He had a, two clip-on ties, two white short-sleeved shirts, and he had his family's giant print King James Bible. That's what he came to college with. And when he got to telling me about his life and where he'd come from, I thought to myself, what? I sat in those rooms night after night, and 
He'd read the Bible. He's dyslexic. It was the only book he could read. But I got a report from him the other day. And in the last year, in closed countries where nobody will, he, he goes where nobody will go. He, he goes where they've never seen somebody from America. They don't know us. He goes to those closed countries. And last year alone, he started almost 100 churches and saw over 50,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. He said, how'd that happen? I'm telling you like Elijah. God was preparing him. And I believe God's preparing you.